Good morning, church. Thank you again for having me. Thank you, uh, David and Stuart, Caleb and company, and Dr. Lowry for having me today. I want to ask you, as you watch that video, what thoughts come to your mind? What, how did she get to be this, I'm going to call, ugly and corrupt person? The young lady, I think her name is Sherilyn. Uh, what one word or words come to your mind when you, when you hear her? Anyone? Selfish, irresponsible, what else? Irresponsible parents, what else? Entitled, did I hear entitled, what else? What? Spoiled, spoiled. No morals, what else? Uh, no respect for mom, okay, these are all good things. Anything else? Pardon? She seems lost for sure. I want to take you through a little bit of what I think is maybe a process for us to look at how we can become, I'm going to say, an entitled person because it seems to summarize a lot of what you've said with her mother led her to believe she's entitled or she's decided she's entitled. I want you to hear a few definitions of entitled. Oxford Living Dictionary says, believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatments. Cambridge says, feeling that you have the right to do or have what you want without having to work for it or deserve it, just because of who you are. Sounds like her a little bit, doesn't it? The Wiktionary says, convinced of one's own righteousness or the justifiability of one's actions or status, especially wrongly so, demanding and pretentious. A lot of those words you said. There's a process, I think, by which we get to be entitled, or I'm going to say ugly and corrupt. Ugly and corrupt. I don't mean physically ugly, but I, I, as I watched her and listened to her, I just thought, she's an ugly person. All right? <clears throat> what, the first step, I think, is we've got to recognize that her mother was a constant flow of goodness in her life. A constant flow of goodness in her life. And somewhere down the line, Sherilyn perceived an interruption, a break in the constant flow of goodness. Whether it was a break or not, she perceived there was an interruption in the flow of the goodness of her mother. And then she began to pose questions. We can only imagine, but maybe they were things like, my friends have a Mercedes and I just have this Ford Taurus. My friends have credit cards with unlimited amounts of money and they can spend all the money they want. I don't, she began to pose questions. And the way in which she answered those questions resulted in her having a grievance, a grievance against her mother. Uh, you may be, if, as I certainly am thinking, oh my goodness, how could she have a grievance? But she did. And from that grievance, she became a corrupt and ugly person. Let's do it again quickly. An uninterrupted flow of the goodness of her mother, then a perceived interruption in the goodness of her mother, resulting in her posing questions, deciding from her own questions that she had a grievance against her mother, she became an ugly person. So you're dismissed. <laughs> you know, if you know me, you know me better than that. I, 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 I think that there's something about her that reminds me of someone in this room. 
and you're looking at it. Let's just, let's just do it again. I mean, how many of us have lived as a follower of Jesus Christ long enough to know the interrupted flow of the goodness of God? Right? God's goodness. God is good. And his goodness flows and flows and flows. But how many of you, like me, if you were honest, would say every now and then you perceive an interruption in the flow of the goodness of God? It's probably only me, right? And then you pose questions. God, why'd you let that happen to me? You were always so good, God, but now. And from those questions, you're at a pivotal point. I'm not saying that posing questions is not good. I'm not saying it is good, but I know the answer is critical. And if you develop a grievance with God, what can you become? I'm saying a born again, child of God, bona fide member of North Fort Worth Baptist Church. Surely not our church. I'm saying any one of us could become what? An ugly and corrupt person. And some of you are nodding because you know that at some point in your life, you have. I have. God, why'd you let this happen? Uh, let's just look at a pair. I wish we had plenty of time because we start at Genesis and we look at Adam and Eve. This is the paradigm right there with the help of the serpent asking questions. Or we could move through to the first king of Israel, Saul, who digressed into insanity, became certainly a corrupt and ugly person. We could move forward into the New Testament and look at Judas. Oh, my goodness. Face to face with the goodness of God every day. You can move forward to the book of Acts and see Ananias and Sapphira. I would like for you to, to, to join me in Psalms 73. My favorite psalm, actually, is Psalm 73, where we see the paradigm actually break down. Because we're asking ourselves this question, how do we give God our best? And my question first is, why don't we give God our best? And I think we'll see it stand up and look us in the face. Through Asaph, join me with the, the singer-songwriter Asaph and listen to this song as it shows us this very pattern. Psalm 73, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and you'll see that in a moment when I, and I'll highlight it. But I love this paraphrase. Allow me to use it this morning, would you? Truly God is what to Israel? Good. He says, I see the uninterrupted goodness of God to Israel and to me. God is good. And we say, all the time. And I say, all the time. And we say, God is good. God is this uninterrupted flow of goodness in our life. But, but to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, verse 2, I, lost, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Gone where, Asaph? To becoming an ugly and corrupt person, perhaps. I think so. He saw this. He saw this pit that he was about to step in and fall into, in which he could probably not get out. What caused this man of God, this singer-songwriter, this leader of leaders, to almost lose his faith and become an ugly and corrupt person? Let's look and read forward as he sees and contrasts the goodness of God flowing to others 
to the trials and troubles that he is facing and that are lashing against him. Verse 3, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper because of their wickedness. (laughs) They seem to live such painless lives. Do you hear imposing questions? It's the next step. Why do they live such painless lives? Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people, meaning me. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else, meaning me. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. (laughs) These fat cats. Can you tell where to paraphrase? Always reminds me about dad. He used to use that phrase. It kind of dates us, but dad used to say, those fat cats. I, I, I like it. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil in their pride. They seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. And their words strut throughout the earth. They blaspheme and get away with it. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Not only that, not only they blaspheme against God, people listen to them with their mouths and tongues hanging out. Like, tell us more. Tell us more. Well, I talk about God and people go to sleep. I'm not talking about me now. (laughs) What does God know, they ask, verse 11. Does the Most High even know what's happening? They ask. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Verse 12. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep my innocent, myself innocent for, for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Do you hear the grievance? It's not fully formed. It's not written in stone. It's just the beginning of a grievance. It's a grievance against God for the life that he's living in light of the contrast to the life that others are living. Have you ever done that? Come on now. Looked across the fence. Looked across the cubicle. Looked across the aisle. New car. New house. Nice spouse. Good job. How did they get all that? I got this. Well, it doesn't seem fair to him. That word fair is a dangerous word to bring in to your life and you begin to nurse, nurse a grudge and begin to develop a grievance and what happens next if you do? And I'm just proposing this. I'm firmly convinced this is the step we go through to become an ugly and corrupt person. But if you do latch on to this grievance against God, and, and all of us know someone like that. I've told you that I myself have walked these steps transparently I'm telling you I have but what happens when we see someone that says yep I'm going to act on this grievance we become an ugly and corrupt person it's not terminal I wouldn't be here today there is a cure (laughs) there is a remedy there is salvation there is good news today right but there's a danger and we need to see that danger for what it is how can we change our trajectory if today 
you or someone you know is dangerously close to that precipice of dropping off into the pit of being ugly and corrupt, would you follow along to verse 16? What stopped this downward spiral? This is why this is my favorite psalm. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary. Aren't you glad you've come into the sanctuary today? I'm glad. Oh God, and I, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truth number one, truth number one, hear me, you'll see this more often than you realize when we're evaluating our own trajectory, downward spiral into becoming an ugly and corrupt person, almost always we see eschatology. We see the end. I'm telling you, we don't preach or teach about it a lot, but we ought to. We ought to think about it. This is not all there is, right? This is not the end. This is not the final chapter of my life. Is this the final chapter of your life? No, no. He went where God's word was taught and God's spirit was present. He heard a critical truth from God's word. And this is what it was. Verse 18. There is an end game. And this is not it. This man was shown. Go back and look through each one of those people that you've seen. Even the spokespeople that people lap up their every word and syllable. Think about their end. And here's what he said. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you rise, O oh Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Yes, I've been shredding weeds on my ranch, and yes, the weeds and the grass will grow up together. I will shred till the day I die, and there will always be goat weeds on my ranch. Did you know that? And I, as I shred them, I sometimes lean out and say, your day is coming. <laughs> because the Lord Jesus said he would separate the weeds from the wheat. Did he not? There's a day coming. I don't know if any of you have been or are goat farmers or you have sheep. But every now and then look at the goat and say, your day is coming. I'm sorry for the goat lovers. People have called me a goat roper. A redneck at least. But Jesus said someday the goats and the sheep are going to be what? Separated. Separated. You know why? Because for the wheat and the weeds, this isn't the end. There's another day coming. For the goat and the sheep, this isn't the end. There's another day coming. There's going to be another day when the harvest happens and, and God's chosen, his people are going to be separated from those that are lost without him. Our heart breaks for the Sherilyn. Someone said she's lost. They're lost all around us. We can look at them and say, oh, they have it better than us, or we can go beyond that and see truth number one. Vance Habner put it this way. Sooner or later, we all sit down to a bowl of consequences, right? So you can continue down this path of posing questions and nursing your grievance, or you can look further down the road and say, you know what? In Jesus Christ, I am a child of God, and though it's not always fair in this life, this is not the end of it all. Amen? 
There's another day coming, a great getting up morning when Christ is going to come for us. He says in John 14, I really take it literally. He said, I myself will come for you. Not sending anybody. I'll come for you. Even so come, Jesus. Truth number two, verse 21 and following. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And this is truly my favorite part of the whole psalm. I, I sometimes read this and just begin to get emotional. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I, I was so foolish and ignorant. I must seem like a senseless animal to you, God. But I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Yes, life's not always fair, and I hurt. And I have a hard time getting up in the morning, and I have a hard time making it through life. Sometimes I can't understand why life is this way, but you know what? I look to my side, and you're always there, always. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that, didn't he? You guide me with your counsel. Your word is true, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, but as for me, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. How do you give God your best is the question today. Well, even the psalmist, Ace, if the singer-songwriter realized there's this pre precipitous moment, this precipitous moment, this frightening moment when we say, I have a grievance against you, God. What do we do with that? He said, I took that grievance and went to God and looked at what I have and saw and realized what I have in God. And what I have in God is God. Truly God. The loving God who loves me unconditionally like no one else. Whom I have in heaven besides thee. And besides thee, I couldn't desire or think of anyone I would want besides you. That's rich. And so how does he conclude? I tell others. I give to missions. I give to my church. I tell others personally. I go door to door. I knock up, tell my friends. I share the exciting good news. I sing praises from the choir. I love to tell others about Jesus because he is God. And he's everything I need. How do we give God our best? Well, we recognize here, without ever using the word, he's talking about God's love. Love is a word that we use and overuse. Would you not agree? I to look up and I don't have time to read all the definitions of love from dictionary, but they're just all over the map. But if I was to say to my wife, I love you, that would be different than if I was to tell David or Stuart, I love you. It would be different if I was to tell Dr. Stephen Lowry, I love you. It would be different if I was to tell a neighbor, I love you. It would be different to say, I love my John Deere tractor. And I do. I'm sorry. I'm just going to confess that sin. It's a cab tractor. I've never had one. I would have to open the door to talk to the weeds in air-conditioned comfort. Sorry, I slipped a moment there. But it certainly wouldn't mean the same thing, would it? 
But what, what are the definitions of love? If you've read C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves, then this is a little summary of that. But there are four words for love in the Greek. The Greeks and the Romans, they, they had a diverse use of language. They were inflected, it said. They had four different words. And one is storge. Storge is the word for family love. This morning, Dr. Stephen Lowry and Dr. D.L. Lowry are together and... Uh, a grandson's being baptized in Glovis, New Mexico. Storge love. Would anybody fault Stephen Lowry for being at the baptism of his grandchild today? Storge love. The love we have in faith. I call it mama love. Because to me, when you think about the love mama has for child, that really gets to the feeling of what storge love is, it's probably the highest form of what a mom, dad feels towards their child. Storge love. And then another love is phileo, from which we get our city, Philadelphia. If you've been there, you wonder why it is called the city of brotherly love. But sorry if you're from Philadelphia, I ask your forgiveness. But it, 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 hear me, it's the word of what we have in common. You remember the old Venn diagrams? Here's a circle, it's me. Here's a circle, it's David. And, and we look at our circles and in the middle is the intersection point. You know what I'm talking about? What we have in common as friends, David. You, we could explore that, we could write it out and say, we have this in common. We're in the ministry, we love North Fort Worth Baptist Church, we enjoy the teaching of God's word. We could just list Stuart and I could. He's helped me one time do strategic visioning for a church, the last full-time church I pastored. Masterful job. We could go through what he did for our church there in Wichita Falls and say, this is what we have in common, Stuart. And it would be much. But, but the, by the way, the bigger that intersection point is, the, the, here's my circle and here's the, 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 the bigger the mass, the surface area of our intersection, the greater the friendship. One of my best friends, if not my best friend in the ministry, will be here in this pulpit, the first Sunday in October, don't miss it. To have a lot in common is to make a friend. Would you not agree with that? This word also is not the word that we're going to look at as we move to John chapter 4. We'll finish in John chapter 4. There's one other word for love. It's the word that always makes us, especially in the classic service, a little uncomfortable. It's called eros. He didn't. He's not going to talk about erotic. The Greeks didn't necessarily mean sexual love. We even say making love. Did he say that? That's not sponsored by this church. I just said that. Okay. But the Greeks meant it a little more broadly than that. They didn't mean just sex, sexual love would be included. But it meant to be desired. To look at someone and say, I desire that. Actually, I have grandchildren and and and. One of them just came off of being nursed, and her name is Eden. She's a precious little one-year-old. But she, when she was being nursed, would look at her mother with erotic eyes. She desired her mother. Who would fault her for that? Nobody here. But to look at something desirable, and it's, it's strong, it's, it's passionate, that desire is. So it's broader than that, but it's a good love. It's in, in marriage, it's a good love. And a child to a mom, it's a good love. It's just not the love we're going to talk about. These three loves, storge, family love, mama love, and then friend love, which I call bubba love or buddy love, and eros I call hubba hubba love. 
you come up with this on your own? Of course. Do you think anybody would write this dumb stuff besides me? So Mama Love, Bubba Love, and Hubba Hubba Love were ranked highest among Greeks and Romans. Yes, I said it. I have no pride. These were the big ones. In the appendix, off to the side, they had another word. It was called agape. Anybody ever heard about agape love? It's the lowest form. Needy people. We'll work for food people. Cardboard sign, I need help people. They needed help, so they put that in the appendix, but it was a word for love, to help someone in need. Agape love. A selfless, self-giving love. Now, as I move to John 4, I hope you're turning to John 4. Would you do that for me? As we're turning to John 4, I want you to understand something about mama love and bubba love and hubba hubba love. If we could put a spotlight on these love and we say, Here, here's the spotlight, we'd put the spotlight on the one receiving the love. They tend to focus on the object of love. The merit, let me say that again, the merit of the one being loved. Mama loves the baby. The baby's deserving of family love. I've never seen an ugly baby, or at least I've never confessed to have seen an ugly baby. You look at the baby, it's a beautiful baby. And Mama certainly says it's a beautiful baby. The object of love, the baby, merits family love. Friendship love. I look at my friend and I say they merit, they merit, deserve love because we have a lot in common. It's because they're like me that I like them. It's because they like me and are like me that I like them. And Eros says it all. I look at that thing, that object, that person, and I say hubba hubba. The spotlight is on my attraction to the object to the person. But agape doesn't point that way. Because when the spotlight falls on the person, let's say it's me, I'm in need. I'm desperate. I'm hopeless. I'm ugly. I'm corrupt. I'm separated from the one who loves me. So the spotlight doesn't focus on me. That's not the beautiful person. That's not the one with merit. Where does the spotlight focus on? It focuses on the giver. You hear what I'm saying? It tur- the spotlight turns to the giver. And in this case, in John 4, which is chock full of the word love, it focuses on God, the giver. And I call this, I'm in trouble, love. I'm in trouble, love. The, it focuses on the one that's going to help me. Would you turn to 1 John? I said John. I'm, 1 John is what I meant. Now we've got to turn all over again. Scott, get it together. Stephen never does this. I know it. I'm sorry. First John chapter 4. Go to the right, way to the end. Go to the, the, the very last, the maps, and turn left. First John chapter 4. Just do a running homily of this, if you will, a running study of this, and we'll be done. Dear friends, 1 John 4 verse 7. Dear friends, beloved. It's, it's actually a form of the word Agape. I cannot, we don't have time for me to highlight every word that is a derivative of the form agape in this, but you'll see it in this paraphrase I'm going to use. Dear friends, dear beloved, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. The spotlight is on God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. 
But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. Uh, Stay where you are, but can I remind you of what it says in Romans chapter 5, where it highlights this even as richly as we've seen it here. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not too long ago, I was at a church with my daughter, Storge Love, with my family uh, for a special service for my family. And the preacher gave Chip Ingram's definition of God's love. Have you heard this? I cannot get past it, people. All these years I've been trying to define a good definition of agape love, and up and behold, a radio teacher does it for me. Chip Ingram says, love, God's love, is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. May I say that again? Chip Ingram writes, and I think he's beautifully right, Love is giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost to oneself. Would that fit the definition of God's love for us? It would, wouldn't it? So, God showed how much he loved us back to 1 John 4. He sent the world. This verse 10 is real love. Not that we loved God. You see the word I was using a minute ago, merit? Not that we merit it. Not that we deserve it. In fact, we deserve something quite different. We deserve hell and damnation and separation. But what do we get instead? We get his love. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That is the gospel. We like to talk about the gospel when we feed the hungry. I hope we do. If you give to the state offering, it'll help feed the hungry. Well, we, we do these good things in music and education and preaching. All those things are good, but they're not the gospel. Don't ever say that's the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who says so? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again according to the scripture. And he said, this is the gospel message. That's what he says. What does it say about me? And my desire to give God my best. That's what we're trying to get to. It tells me that I must accept this about myself, that I am a reject. I deserve damnation. I am desperately in need. I'm the one who needs God's love the most, and I need it now. I need it desperately now. I can't look at myself and say, well, I merit this kind of love. I deserve the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I did not. I can I ask you, would you die for someone else? I, I, I don't know if you've made a list of people you'd die for. My list would probably be short. God's list is infinite and beautiful and rich. God, Letha Anderson wrote about this verse. He said, God loves us as is. 
I'm not a new car buyer. Uh, every now and then I am, but mostly I'm a pre-owned car buyer. Anybody besides me like those pre-owned cars? You go through the parking lot, and you know what you see on the sticker? A new car dealership, you have to really have a Ph.D. to understand all that. I'm not smart enough. But, but I understand the two words on a used car dealership. You know what it says? As is. Every one of them, as is. As is. As is. You know what they're saying? Good luck. What if you were looking at used cars here in Fort Worth and you looked at one of them and it said, as is, as is lemon. <laughs> lemon. Anybody here ever owned a lemon? I see that we have a witness. Anybody here ever owned an egg pacer? I'm just kidding. I mean, th 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 there were lemons out there and maybe you've had one. If it was marked lemon, would you think it merited your purchase? Honey, come over, look at this one. This is an old egg pacer. It's got it right here. I knew it. It says lemon. He runs up and says, let's get that one. Oh, yeah. If all you want to have one of them lemons. No, who would do that? Who would buy a lemon? I know somebody. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for this lemon. How about you? Man, I didn't deserve it. I was broken and am broken. I'm desperately wicked. And there is no good in me apart from him. And his love chooses me. In fact, it is at that moment when I'm posing the questions about God's fairness that I say, wait, 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 wait. Forget all them, God. Let's just not make this horizontal. Let's make this vertical. You know, I've got to confess to you that I'm the sinner here. I'm the one that's messed up. Forget them. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen? That's when I become ready, prepared, and able to give God my best. Let's keep going. Verse 11, we'll move forward. The Lord, I was just trying to say, he paid top dollar for this lemon. He paid, he did, didn't he pay top dollar for you, lemon? Leave and go home. Tell your friends, what you pay? I was told I was a lemon at church. I'm not going to that church. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Oh, we, I wish we had more time, but the word here, full expression in us, is in the NIV, made complete in us, but in the original, it's the word from which we get made complete. It's used in one of the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross, it's a single word where he said, it is finished. That word is to tell us die. Here we find it. John still, I guess, I think, reminiscing on Jesus from the cross saying, it's done. Nothing more can be done for Scott Willingham to save him. I'm doing it. And as of this moment on the cross, I have done it. Finished. Paid in full. Amen. John reaching forward says, and not only do we accept that we're rejected, now that we've accepted that we're sinful, that we're lemons, God makes us complete whole. He fills us up to the very top. He fills us up to where we need nothing else. We absolutely are completed, finished, beautiful, totally full. That is amazing. 
Christmas is coming. I wanted to be the first person to say Christmas this year. Before you see it in a couple of weeks on TV, it used to be Thanksgiving. Then it became October. Now Christmas starts, well, today. Anyway, but one of the things I like least about Christmas, I'm, I'm not a bah humbug person. Until I open that box full of these Christmas lights that, that are from last year. I don't know. Someone crawled in the box. And they worked when I put them up. You know what I'm talking about? The ones they say run in a cereal, not, not like cereal in a box. I mean, in a series. Someone went in there, I don't know who it was, and they took one of the lights and they said, this is it. <laughs> or they snapped it off. And I go to put it on the tree or whatever, and I plug it in. It's like, what's wrong with this? Doesn't work. I know enough about cereal electricity that I know somewhere in there, Along the line, there's a bulb that's out. Hate those things. Sorry, Jesus. I'm not alone, am I? Those things are awful. I've got to where I just chunk them. I just throw them away. End of Christmas, I always go shopping the next day and find some more. I'm telling you, you need to think about that. It's not complete. The series is not complete. The electricity is flowing, but it stops at some random unknown hiding from my eyes bulb, and it won't light up. And yet that's just like me. That's exactly like me. There's this sin. There's this brokenness in my life, and I can't light up, and I can't give God my best. And John says, you can look. And you should look. You can confess, and you should confess. But know this, the outcome will be that Jesus Christ is going to fix that bulb. I'm not stepping past repentance. I'm not stepping past conscious and public, private and public confession. I'm just saying when it comes down to it, I say, oh, God, I'm broken. Oh, God, something's not lighting up. And, oh, God, I want to give you my best. But there's a bulb out somewhere, and he says, there's probably a couple. Thanks. I said, would you make me complete? He said, I'll complete you. I'll do that. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. But I love you, Scott, and I'll do it. Won't you let him do that today? If you want to give God your best, you're going to have to be filled up. Filled up to the full. And we're about out of time. I want to finish this by just finish the reading here. Look at verse 11. Let's look at verse 13. And, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Just notice how many times in the next few verses he talks about living in God. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And we live in God, and our love grows more perfect. There's that word again, to tell us, die. We're completed by him. So we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment. Truth number one. You'll see this more often than you know. There's a day coming. We're not going to stop there. But see, I want you to highlight with your eyes that John says the same thing as Asaph. In this process where I could step off and become a corrupt and ugly person, I keep in mind there's a day coming. I like the way I said that. I just, I don't think I've, I always preach that word. There's a day coming. Sorry. I don't know. I'm sorry, Stuart. You know, preachers, when they preach about hell, and there's a day coming. Just, I'm training myself to say, there's a day coming. 
But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's the fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect. There it is again. You know, if we're living in fear, we're not complete. Let him fix that bulb. Let him fix that series. Let him complete you. We love each other because he loved us. And here's what I've come to say. You want to give God your best? Get loved up. If that sounds cheesy, I ask your forgiveness. I hopefully, as I've walked through this passage, told you what he's saying. And there's more we could say. But, but how well have you done at getting loved up? And by the way, flipping this over, if you look and you see, there's someone I just can't love. That series of lights is broken in you. Oh, you, you can't say that. I can't. Must, I must say it. How do I know whether I'm loved up or not? If there's someone in my life I just have a hard time loving. Oh, it's not Jesus. I have to say to him, God, for me to be at my best and give you my best, in light of what John said, and we've just glanced at it, I've got to live in you and live in you and live in you and let your love live in me. And your love fills me up and you fill me up with your love. And once you fill me up with your love, it spills out on even the people I don't like. I could give you step by step here. Rule number one, love someone that you don't like. Rule number two, love someone that you don't like. Rule number 1,255, love someone you don't That's not what he's saying. John is saying, get loved up. Let God love you. Accept that you're a sinner. And let him complete you. And out of that love that flows from God, he says, love is from God. It flows out to others. And you give God your best that way. Any of this makes sense to anybody but me? Or you can become a corrupt and ugly person. And I don't think anybody here wants to be that. We're going to face trials. There are going to be problems. Life isn't fair. Anybody that says so is selling something, as they say. But God's love is beautiful and real, and it's available, and it's for me, and he can fill me up and complete me, and I can pour that love out on you. It's not from me. It's from God. But it is available. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear loving Father, you know that I've more than just put my toe into the brackish water of being corrupt and ugly. I thank you for this pattern that you've shown me from Asaph, Psalm 73, and others. And I think other, there, there may be someone here today that's, that's really looking at other people too much. And they're thinking about what is happening to other people way too much. And I pray for that person or those people here today that they would just look to you today. And Father, I thank you that you remind us that there's this day coming we don't want to wait for that day. If someone here today doesn't know you, they haven't accepted you as Savior, and Lord, I pray that they'll do so today and accept you today. For those of us who have, then today we admit that we're a sinner separated from you. Without Jesus, we're hopeless, but with Jesus, we can be made complete, and we are being made complete. So I pray then for this person here today that maybe just isn't shining very brightly and has a bulb or two out. I've been there too, God, and I'm always there, it seems. Make them complete. Go to that part of their lives 
It's broken. And fix it, Father. Go to the part of my life that's broken and fix it, Father. And love me up, love us up. And let us love others. We just love you, God, not because we loved you first. Because you loved us first. We love you, we love you, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.